Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Mondays and Wednesdays, join Gabriel and his food hero guests on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so delighted to have Betty Liu of La Juice d'Orange here on the show today. A wedding photographer with her husband Alex by day, Betty shares recipes influenced by her Chinese heritage and her parents. She grew up in a home where white rice was a staple and comfort food was soup noodles, wontons, or fatty pork belly. Betty strongly believes that traditional Asian ingredients have a place in the modern culinary world. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, Betty. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Betty, you grew up in a household where both your parents cooked and it was mostly traditional Chinese food. Your mom particularly is skilled in Shanghai cuisine. How would you describe Shanghai cuisine? Well, Gabriel, that's a really difficult question. I think it's really hard to describe what Shanghai cuisine is. It's such a melting pot of a city and there's just so much movement among the regions of China. So for example, do you know Shanghai Shaomai? It's kind of an open-faced dumpling, and it's a very common breakfast street food in Shanghai. But the origins of the open-faced dumpling actually came from the Canton region, and that's what a lot of people actually know it as, what they eat in dim sum, so like shumai filled with pork and shrimp. But somehow that migrated over to Shanghai, and they completely changed it, and they filled it with sticky rice, some mushrooms, and some pork. So the way I knew shamai was the way my mom made it, which is the Shanghai version. So I don't know if I'd call it originated from Shanghai, but it's definitely borrowed influences from other regions as well. So I guess I don't know if I can really describe it in one sentence, but it is very similar to the cuisines of the Jiangsu province and the Zhejiang province. For example, I can say definitively that it's very, very different from Sichuan cuisine or Hunan cuisine, which is very spicy and oily. Yeah, well, I mean, even like, I mean, my parents are from, well, my mom's from Hong Kong. So like, the food is quite different as well from, you know, other Shanghainese cuisine, or especially Sichuan cuisine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so very obvious difference. <laughs> right. Now, is there one dish that when you have it just transports you back to your childhood? Yeah, definitely. It's something called zongzi. Um, so specifically, rou zongzi. So it's basically savory sticky rice and braised pork wrapped in a bamboo leaf, and it's steamed. And it's traditionally eaten um, during Dragon Boat Festival. My mom would always make it, and we would have it for breakfast, and we would have it year-round, so not just during Thronjie. So that's definitely something that I look forward to. Right. Now, this one, it can be sweet or savory, right? Yeah, it can. And there are so many different versions. Like, I think the Taiwan version has peanuts. And I know there's a Cantonese version. I think it has tiny sausage, but I don't want to claim anything. But there's a sweet version that is sticky rice as well, but with like red bean paste. I'm personally not really a fan of the sweet zongzi, but I know it exists. Right. You wrote that your dad was the more adventurous cook. Is there something that he used to make that was kind of weird, but tasted amazing? Yes, and it's actually very simple. So whenever he made breakfast for us during school days, he would make a big bowl of soup noodles, which was great. And he would always top it with one or two fried eggs. But they weren't just normal fried eggs. He drizzled balsamic vinegar or black vinegar, whatever he had handy, around the edges. And it sounds really weird and crazy, but it's actually really amazing. I highly recommend it. Right. It's like your first introduction to, I guess, a little bit of fusion cuisine at home. A little bit different, yeah. (laughs) Coming from a family where your parents cooked, did you help out in the kitchen or were you more of an observer? I was definitely an observer. 
But I actually had no interest in cooking until I went off to college. I was more interested in baking at first, so I experimented with some baking in high school. But it wasn't until I moved out to college that I really craved my parents' cooking and authentic home-style Chinese cooking. So I actually started to explore, like, how do you actually cook? Cool. Now, today on a random, regular Tuesday evening, what would you make for dinner? Nothing fancy. So probably white rice, possibly fried rice if I feel like it. Honestly, probably just fried tofu and a simple light stir fry of any greens I have on hand. So like bok choy or Chinese broccoli or anything like that. So something really simple. Yeah, sounds good though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Growing up in the West, we're all familiar with the sweet and sour pork, sort of the goopy sauces and the egg foo young type of fast westernized Chinese food. Asian food, though, is becoming a lot more refined and even trendy. What do you think has brought on this evolution? Well, I think people are becoming fed up with their food being misrepresented. And I think there's a huge movement towards actually learning authentic cuisine and interpreting it in different ways. So I see a lot of more authentic cuisine restaurants popping up, but also a lot of great Asian fusion. And it's really fascinating. There's one restaurant nearby, you know, Myers and Chain. I don't know if you know, but it's in Boston. And they do a lot of fusion. Like they had like quinoa bibimbap, which is like a mashup of the Korean dish. And it's really amazing. And I think it stays true to authentic cuisine, but interpreting it in different ways. Right. I think it's really interesting because, you know, if you were to ask me anyways, what authentic Chinese food was when I was growing up, it would totally be different than what I would consider authentic Chinese food today. What's your take on that? I don't want to claim to be an expert on authentic Chinese cuisine. Basically, home-style Chinese cooking, that's what I consider authentic. And I think you can find that out in the restaurants these days. Just avoid, like, Panda Express or anything that's, you know, obviously westernized. And my perception of authentic Chinese food hasn't really changed. I still consider home-style Chinese food pretty authentic. Cool. Do you have any old-school westernized Chinese food guilty pleasures? To be honest, not really. I always tended to stay away from those chains, so nothing really comes to mind. No, not even like a sweet and sour pork or anything like that? Well, I really don't like sweet and sour pork. <laughs> okay. Now, for home cooks who may not be familiar with cooking Chinese food, is there a basic group of ingredients that, when put together, form the core of a good Chinese dish? I mean, just because there are so many different dishes and variations in China, I wouldn't say there's something that you can really put together and just make a Chinese dish. But I can tell you what I always have stocked in my pantry. Um, so I always have two types of soy sauce. I have cooking wine, usually black vinegar. And I always have fresh ginger and fresh scallions in my fridge. And of course, always white rice. Are the different soy sauces like a different type of soy sauce or are they just different brands? Oh no, they're different types. So there's, I guess you call it dark soy sauce and there's also light soy sauce. So like they're different, you can use it in different ways. And what's the difference between the dark and the light ones? Well, from what I understand it, so dark soy sauce is, you can really get a lot of color from it. But actually, the light soy sauce has a more of the flavoring. Cool. What's a traditional Chinese dish that, for someone who's not familiar with cooking Chinese food, can attempt for the first time and have some success with? I think scallion pancakes. It's not that difficult. It's just scallions and flour and like salt and sesame oil. But it's really easy and I mean, it's very popular. Do you have something like this on your website? Yeah, so it's scaling pancake, and I also put like a layer of egg on it so people can choose to omit that if they want because that's an extra step, but it is on my blog if anyone's interested. Awesome. Now, are there some good online resources or books for those interested in learning more about Chinese or Shanghainese cuisine? Yeah, no books really come to mind. Um, 
There are some really great food bloggers out there that I think you can really learn a lot about Chinese cuisine from. So there's Lady in Puffs by Mandy, and she has some really great recipes on that. Like you can even make homemade yangpi, which is a type of noodle, and I think that's really fascinating. And Walks of Life is another great blog. It's a whole family blogging about Chinese food, and it's a really great resource. Cool. Definitely check out Walks of Life because I've not checked that one out yet. So. <laughs> oh, you should. It's really great. Cool. Now your blog Le Jus d'Orange. You're a wedding photographer by day. What inspired you to start documenting your cooking adventures? Well, you know, when I first started my blog, it wasn't actually meant to be a food blog. It was more for myself. Everything was private. I just wanted to have a place where I could keep track of my cooking. Specifically, I wanted to learn my mom's recipes. And the way she taught me, it wasn't a recipe at all. It was just, you know, like put a little bit of salt here, pour some cooking wine, you know, cook it until it feels right. So I would describe it as very instinctive. But you know, as a novice cook, I didn't have that instinct yet. So I did a lot of experimentation with the portions and how to actually make the dish. And then since I'm a photographer, taking photos of the steps and product just became a natural second step. And I discovered that I really enjoyed it, and I just continued. And when did you realize that you had something like that you wanted to share this with sort of, I guess, the internets? Well, my husband really encouraged me. He thought that people would really want to learn, especially in authentic Chinese cuisine. And my friends also like they started asking me for my recipes because、um, I would use them a lot as my guinea pigs to see if my dish was good. Lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they really thought that people would be interested in that. I mean, it was a pretty big step. I think I'm a pretty private person, but I'm having a lot of fun with it, and it's really allowed me to make a lot of connections and friends that I wouldn't have otherwise have known. Right. We're all grateful that you decided to share your creations with us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gabriel. <laughs> Well, here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dinner dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Can you talk about a dish that is special to you, and maybe the story behind the dish? I would say red braised pork belly. Have you ever had it? I've only had it at restaurants, but I've never attempted it at home before. Oh, it's really easy. I think you try it, and I guess the reason I really like it is because this is one of those dishes that you can find all over China. But everyone, like every family, has different ways of making it. My husband, so his family's from Suzhou and Nanjing, and his grandpa has a completely different way of making it than what my mom has. And they're both really good. They're just a tiny bit different. So I think it's really interesting to kind of see what different traditions there are behind this dish. But you know, my mom really makes it in a way that it's really flexible, so you can add it. So it's a similar style that you put in songzi actually, and you can also kind of do a variation of it where you put it in pork belly buns. So there's a lot of variations that you can do with this red braising technique, and it's on my website, and it's very easy, I think. Okay, so I'm gonna search for that on your site, and trust that it's easy, because <laughs> it doesn't sound easy. No, you literally leave it alone, and you let it braise for hours, and then you get this mouth-watering, super tender, melty pork belly. And it's this really beautiful, sort of dark, rich red color too, right? Like it's different than what you would assume pork belly would look like. Yeah, exactly, and it comes from the red braising, so from like the soy sauce and like everything. Awesome. Well, let's say that you were pairing this braised pork with a movie. What movie would you pair with this dish? <laughs> so not something too heavy, and you know, I think just because this dish is particularly nostalgic to me, I guess I would want to watch something from my childhood. So probably Toy Story, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. Awesome. Share it with Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. 
Well, I call the next part of the dinner special podcast the pressure cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? Sure. Awesome. Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? Actually, none. <laughs> no? <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. Number two, what are some food blogs or websites we have to know about? Well, there's just so many. I guess like ones that I really resonate with is Bed and Barrel. She's really great. I know her personally, and her posts are always super insightful, very thorough, very detail-oriented, and she focuses on New England cuisine. And now that I live in Boston, you know, that's particularly interesting to me. So I don't think I knew much about New England cuisine except for, you know, New England clam chowder. And then Nick from A Brown Table. I just really admire his photography and how he stays true to his own style. And his recipes are just amazing, too. So that's one. And I guess I would say Hummingbird High. That blog actually taught me a lot of what I know about baking. Her recipe, she always has these notes on how to make the recipe and baking tips. You can learn a lot about baking from that. Great. Perfect. Number three. Who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, or Facebook that make you happy? <laughs> Again, too much. <laughs> I really love Cynthia from Two Red Bowls. Her photos are always beautifully styled, and she has really great-sounding recipes. Again, Lady and Pups. Her photos are just stunning. And I guess there's also Beth from Local Milk. Everything she posts is just a beautiful vignette, and I love that glimpse into what she's doing. And the last one, I guess, is Feed Feed. It's a comedian, and I love that it's community-based, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to discover other food bloggers out there. Perfect. Number four, what is the most unusual or treasured item you have in your kitchen? So I recently got a fermentation crock, and that just opened the whole world of fermentation up to me, and I'm really excited to use it. I just made kimchi. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and that was, I didn't even know that you can make kimchi at home so easily. So I'm really excited to do future fermentation projects. Great. Number five, Name one ingredient you used to dislike that you now love. Ginger. I used to hate it. I would always fish it out of any dishes. My mom used to force us to drink hot brewed ginger tea when we were sick. And I just hated it. It was the worst medicine I could ever have. Like, I preferred cough syrup to ginger tea. But, you know, <laughs> I think once I started cooking, I started to really appreciate um, what ginger can bring to dishes. And I actually really love ginger tea now. I love the effect that it has on my body. It really warms you up immediately. And yeah, I just like ginger now. <laughs> Great. Number six, what are a few cookbooks that make your life better? Well, there's one book that I'm reading right now. I don't know if it is counted as a cookbook. It's called On Food and Cooking by Harold McGee. And it basically goes over the science behind food. And it's really fascinating because there's just so much about food that I didn't know before. You know, I think it might make me a better cook if I actually understand why things work or like how does fermentation work so another one I just got a book it's called A Bolt, A Walrus and a Whale and it's just beautifully written it's very coastal A Boat, A Walrus and a Whale yeah great number seven what song or album just makes you want to cook well anything by the Beatles and there's an album called Anchor by Mindy Glenhill that is all very cheerful and makes me want to cook as well Awesome. Well, congratulations, Betty. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. <laughs> Betty, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. You're all over social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted with what you're up to? Probably Instagram. Yeah? Yeah. And of course, the website is lejuicedrangeblog.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Betty, for taking the time to chat with me. I had a good time. Thank you so much for having me, Gabriel. 
Thank you so much for listening. Head over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.